This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week, two pretty cool dudes, if you know, you ask me. Uh, Paul Jaceley. Hello. And Renee Rodriguez. Bueno. Thank you both for being on the show this week. I'm super excited that you're both here. I'm really absolutely overwhelmed with excitement <laughs> to be talking about comic books with you both, and especially this week's topic, given all the momentous things that are circling around it. But before we get to all that... Let me ask the question that I ask every single week. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Renee. Uh, well, honestly, the rough patch between me and comic books is, is getting better, but it's you know, still got some work to do. Oh, man, um, that's great to hear. Yes, yes. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, though, is that actually, um, I've, so lately I've been reading more manga than comics, but Children Jump was actually on a break this week. So I actually kind of panicked and was like, oh, no. I have nothing to talk about on the Irish Comic Books podcast. Okay. <laughs> so I dug through, I, I got my digital shovel and I dug through my comicsology library, I guess is what it's called. I like and it. I looked and saw what I had. And so I actually, I read this weird book. I think this actually came from like a bundle that I heard from, from our very own Nick White. Okay. Um, at least I think that's his last name. I'm not really sure. I don't read Twitter. So it was this, <laughs> <laughs> it was this comic called Nom Wolf. Um, and it was issue number one. It's by mm-hmm. Fabian Rangel Jr. He's the writer, and the art is by Logan Farber, or Farber Farber. It's an A. Farber, whatever. Yeah. Anyways, so Nam Wolf uh, is quite literally about a guy that gets drafted to go to Vietnam, and uh, turns out he's a werewolf. And uh, okay, pretty straightforward. <laughs> and uh, it's got some pretty interesting art because it kind of reminds me of Calvin and Hobbes. But uh, but you know, there's a war going on. There's people dying and. And saying swear words and stuff. So it was really interesting. Yeah, I, I looked at a preview for that before the show, actually. And the art, I, I feel that Cal- Calvin and Hobbes art, it feels really cartoonish. It also reminded me of Ren and Stimpy. Hmm. Oh, I, yeah. Really weird. Interesting. But yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it was good. I was intrigued. I had fun reading it. I don't know if I'm going to read Nob Wolf number two, but, you know, I, I can't say, never say never, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I also read uh, Generation X number one for the Woo. 1994 original run <laughs> by nice. Scott Lobdell and uh, Chris Bacalo on pencils, Mark Buckingham on ink. I forgot the colorist's first name, which is really important. I really didn't want to do because Buc- the coloring in that book is amazing. Um, Bucciolato? Bucciolato? I, I'm not going to I'm going to butcher Bucciolato. It's Bucciolato. It's a... Uh, but I forgot his first name, and that's so bad because the coloring in it is wonderful, especially when whenever they have Chamber on there. I was like, because his his he either has like yellow or it's very like kind of like the night sky, the way that his energy blast is coming out of his face, and mm-hmm. it's really beautiful. And uh, and it was Richard Starkings is also on the lettering, and I just love that classic '90s lettering. It was a good time overall because uh, I love Generation X, the first one, because I loved the made-for-TV movie that came out, like, in 1995. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. I oh, love yeah, that Mike. movie. Oh, yeah. Fight me about it, okay? <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I am aware that it is bad, but it is also amazing. So I just had forgotten about it, that's all. It's so good. <laughs> it's amazing. I love it. But Generation X number one was actually really good, and it makes me want that whole original run. And it also makes me want <laughs> to read the um, new Generation X that had come out. It's so good. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> but anyways, enough about comics. Back in the manga world, 
brand new chapter of an amazing series called D. Gray Man, chapter 227, uh, by Katsura Hoshino. This, this is one of my favorite series, and it's amazing. It's about exorcists, and it's amazing, but it gets... It's not to be confused with Blue Exorcist, but also it's been on hiatus on and off for like the past like eight years to the point that it's driving me. It's it's slowly killing me. And are you going to need an exorcism? Is what you're saying? <laughs> no, uh, I was a weak reach. I'm sorry. <laughs> I should I should do a strong reach through the internet to punch you for that, but I won't because we're friends. Thanks, Renee. You're welcome. Anyways, so after the. Uh, seriously, D. Grayman, I love it. I saw that the new chapter was up, and I, like, uh, things happened. It was weird. It was uncomfortable. And I'm just, I was the only one in the room. But I was just like, uh, I was like, ah, okay, I'm glad. Anyways, uh, moving on from this awkward moment. Um, the newest chapter of Jojolian, uh, which is from Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, if you guys don't know. Um, chapter 72. is a, it, It's a great series. There's no way I can explain it, so I'm not even going to. But um, (laughs) we're probably entering the final stages of this part of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Like, we know who the villains are. We know what their final, um, what their master plan is. And we have a countdown to when things are about to be set into motion. And so it's just, I know that we're finally at the starting line of of the last part of the story. And that's exciting. Although, with manga... Whenever they say that, they're like, this is the last story arc. It could still go on for like three more years. So, you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's both exciting, but at the same time, doesn't matter. So, but <laughs> Jojolian, George's Bizarre Adventure, always a good time. And uh, it was very cool. It was beautiful. And by the way, that is by Hirohiko Araki, who is amazing. His art style, even if you don't want to read the story, at least look up his art because it's incredible. Nice. Interesting. That's, yeah, what, that- that's what I read. It's such a beautiful book. I see it on the shelf all the time at Midtown Comics, and I'm like, oh, I know I could get into some real trouble in my wallet if I if I started on this series. <laughs> and the thing is that like they're only in part three in those volumes at comics right now. Mm-hmm. The art only gets progressively better. Like part eight oh, man. is <laughs> stunningly beautiful. It's so good. It's amazing. So I'm like just look up the art on Google or like even there's there's even wonderful like just videos of people, just art to the music and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's just great. It's <laughs> wonderful. It's beautiful. Cool, man. <laughs> Paul, what about you? How have you been? How have comics been? All that jazz. I've been good. I've been good. I've been um, actually taking time, setting aside time every week to read comics. I feel like it's been a while since I've just read comics to really enjoy them. So I'm doing that, and it's paying off because I read a lot of great stuff this week. I read Future Quest Presents Birdman number six. So I really liked the Future Quest series that DC did um, like a year or two ago by Jeff Mm -hmm. Parker and Doc Shaner. They've continued doing Future Quest type comics, but they sort of focus on particular characters. So there's like a little four issue story that's all about Space Ghost. Now they got a Birdman story. This particular issue was written by Phil Hester, art by Steve Rude. And those are two classic comic book creators. I mean, Steve Rude is very good at comic booking. I don't know (laughs) how else to say it. This is one of the best looking books I've read in a while. Just that classic, you know, Kirby, Alex Toth style, Silver Age art style, um, but it's very visually very interesting to look at. The whole story is about Birdman having a son that he didn't realize that he had. And it's just fun to have them take 
close looks at these characters that in my mind only existed as cartoons and I never really knew what Birdman was or what he was all about. So it's mm-hmm. cool to have a comic that really explores the origins of Birdman and all that stuff. And plus, it's like I said, it's Steve Rude's art. It's it's beautiful. Um, I read uh, Justice League number 36 and 37. Christopher Priest is writing Justice League now, and I really liked his first couple issues, 34 and 35. Um, and then it took a weird left turn in issue 36, and I'm not sure if I'm into it anymore. Um, <laughs> oh, no. It's the <laughs> so story it's of Justice League. <laughs> exactly. Um <laughs> So it's Christopher Priest writing. Uh, issue 36 is drawn by Pete Woods, who did 34 and 35. And then 37 is by Philippe uh, Briones. And uh, 34 and 35, the whole idea was that Ju- Justice League, sort of like due to some misplanning by Batman, ended up causing someone to be killed, like an innocent person to be killed by a terrorist. And public opinion about the Justice League turned against them. And it's a really interesting idea. It's like people not being able to trust vigilantes, even though the Justice League are doing the right thing. They're sort of skirting the law. So the story about the the people or the government versus the Justice League and whether they have the right to interfere in you know, police operations or not, it's an interesting idea. With issue 36 and 37, it takes a weird left turn where you have someone impersonating Batman and he's murdering people and the Justice League have to find him and find out why he's doing it. And it just feels like such a weird deviation from the story that was going on before. I'm, there's enough interesting stuff still there that I think I'll stick with it, but it's not the story I was expecting. If that's the way to put it. Gotcha. Yeah. Mr. Miracle number six. I'm sure everyone's oh read it at this point. Uh, it's a really great comic. Uh, Mr. Miracle continues to uh, <laughs> really be an interesting co- It's It's so interesting to me because I really love the Kirby stuff so much. And I think what... Tom King and Mitch Garrods are doing are is to take that stuff and really sort of push in a different direction in a direction that no one else has ever done. People sort of play up the mythological superhero elements of the Kirby New Gods, and they're sort of doing the story of Mr. Miracle and Big Barda in a relationship. They're married, and the whole issue, issue six, they're debating how to remodel their condo, which is great. What's a married couple would, would do? At the same time, they're fighting like people trying to break into the high father's palace on new (laughs) genesis you know and it's really interesting to see how mitch garrods is able to take kirby-esque pacing and rhythm and sort of do it in a nine panel grid there's a lot to unpack there that i don't have time to do on the podcast i might have to write something about this his Mm -hmm. artwork is absolutely fascinating and he's doing something with the nine panel grid that i've never really seen other people do this well and the last two pages were Pretty, pretty stunning as a New Gods fan. So I'm fully, still fully on board on this book. Same. The, the one thing to say about that, I did read this as well, and there were probably one or two choice throwaway lines um, mm-hmm. from some of the just like henchmen or you know minions in the in the High Father's castle or whatever that I like had me rolling on the floor with laughter. Like I was truly <laughs> just blown away by just the, what the, what's actually going on in the story versus this little cut cut to panel right before the action happens yeah. so fantastically done yeah absolutely I just pictured yeah, you rolling on your floor and getting cat hair all in your beard <laughs> yeah oh yeah it's all over <laughs> was it worth it it's a third it's a second beard <laughs> <laughs> the cat hair beard is uh that's something to play with i guess that's, it's uh, mythic yeah. <laughs> um, I read Assassinistas number two, and I see that, Mike, you read issue one. So I might table my thoughts on issue two until okay. you discuss issue one. 
Uh, spoiler alert, I really, really like Assassinistas. So I'll okay. leave it at that for now. Well, I mean, I think there's some bias there, but <laughs> okay. we'll get into yeah. it. We'll get into it. Uh, slightly apropos of today's discussion, I read Superman number 39. This was by Peter Tomasi and Patrick Gleason. They wrote it uh, in the art by Barry, um, Barry Kitson. I've been sort of on the fence with the Superman series lately. There's a couple unnecessary crossovers that happened, and I've sort of been tuned out of the book. I bought issue 39 purely based on the cover, and you know, if you haven't seen the cover, it's basically a close-up of a of a little kid wearing a spacesuit, and Superman's holding this small child, and they're flying through space, and the kid's got a big smile on his face or her face. It's just like a really heartwarming image, like that's the Superman I love, the someone that's like showing a, a child outer space, just because you know that's the good or right thing to do. And uh, the issue basically is that story. It's like Superman goes to a children's hospital where you have a bunch of kids with pediatric cancer, and he takes them into outer space with the help of the Green Lantern, and they go to the Justice League satellite, and they meet the Justice League. The kids get to do a little, like, scavenger hunt, and the one thing that they have to find at the end of the scavenger hunt is they have to take a picture of Batman smiling, and, like, that's the hardest thing to find, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And then, uh, so, of course, one kid actually tells Batman a joke, and he kind of laughs at it, and there you go. And then as a, as a prize, Superman takes all the kids onto the moon and they get to carve their names into space rocks and leave them on the moon. And it's just a really great one and done story about what a good person Superman is, that he did this for all these kids, you know, and it's, it's, it's kind of funny and heartwarming. And I actually really enjoyed it. As a done in one story, I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. I'm not crying. Yes, you're crying. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Mike, uh, what did you read this week? Uh, this week, I read a handful of books. Um, I only dropped four in here um, that were of note, because otherwise it's a bunch of Marvel stuff. But um, So let me mention two Marvel books right from the get-go. Uh, I did read, I read Generation X number 86. This is the continuation of the Generation X that started um, early or late last year. And this story continues to be just as good. I'm really, really, really sad that the book is ending. Um, I can't express how deeply upset I am sometimes reading other X-Men books, seeing that this one is getting canceled and some of the other ones are surviving. Um, and not, and that's not to necessarily knock the, the creators on those books, but it's just really unfortunate to see that the numbers or whatever reason that Marvel had for canceling this book, it's it, it's happening. It's because this book is seriously really, really heartwarming, really, really gets down into these characters. And I've, I've really grown to love them. And I've, I knew some of them going in. I didn't know all of them. And it's it's just really unfortunate. I, I love these X-Men student stories, and we don't get enough of them. We always just get the, oh, no, we have to go fight the superhero bad guy. Um, mm. Instead instead of getting these like down-to-earth-ish stories where there are these fantastical elements, but you're seeing these characters develop and grow throughout the story. And Generation X number 86, just at one point, I don't want to spoil it, it just hits very hard for people that really like Quentin Choir. There's a really beautiful moment that happens in this issue that I very much enjoyed. <sighs> I'm just very sad that this book is ending. Quentin Quire is um, not dead yet? Oh, Renee, you, you gotta you gotta read these comics, man. <laughs> How is he still alive? That is, you know, okay, who we could do a whole we could do a whole episode just about you know, Grant Morrison's new X Men to talk about where Quentin Quire is. You know, I think that was I think that was actually one of the questions that I had for you in the X Men questions that I had. <laughs> Well, do you, do you remember the list? I'm pretty sure one was Quentin Quire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Whoa, I need to get back to that. I I, I totally abandoned it. I don't know why. I got it's to. Because you're I got to a, a bad question. friend. No, I got to. I got to Magneto and Red Skull, and I didn't know how to answer it because I don't read those comics. And uh, uh, that's the you, answer. You, know, you just go. I don't got one for you. Okay, there'll be a short, very quick medium post that'll just be. I don't know, Renee. Fucking Wikipedia. Instead of that, you can just put it on Twitter. Just be like, uh, at Renee. I don't got a clue for you. You know what? Okay. If if that is an acceptable answer, then you know what? We're, these medium posts yes, are coming yeah. back. Yeah, it's it's okay to say you don't know. <laughs> All nerds out there, it's okay to admit that you don't know something. That's that's a huge relief, <laughs> actually. Um, <laughs> anyways, well, so I many also people read... are afraid to to like admit that they don't know stuff. It's like it's okay. You're not you're not all seeing. You know, you're not a watcher. It's okay. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> not yet. Um, anyways, I also read Fence Number Three. This is by C.S. Picat and Joanna the Joanna the Mad. This is a book about fencing and boys at school and and being mad and tournaments and fighting with swords. And it's it's essentially it feels like each issue is a manga chapter, and I love it. It, there's I don't know how else to explain it. This book is basically a westernized manga comic in all the right ways. It's done very, very well. The art is beautiful. The story is compelling every single issue. They've got some very cool characters that are building up, being built throughout the story on top of the primary narrative between Nicholas and Seji. And if you're not reading this book, please go, about, go out and buy this. I, I need this book to continue. It is such a fun <laughs> romp of a comic book. Did you did you say that one of the creators' name was Joanna the Mad? Yes, she goes by yeah. Joanna the Mad. She is a she's a Mexican um, illustrator, and her art is super top notch. It's it's got a very strong like manga influence, but she does some very fantastic work with just character expressions that I I don't know how to describe, but it's it just it's choice. That's that's well, all I can say. <laughs> so you had me at Joanna. The fact that she calls herself Joanna the Mad. <laughs> But then mm-hmm. to know that she's also a fellow Mexican. Yeah, if I'm, if uh, I am, I don't want to misquote. Now I have to like Google it. Hold on, I want to. I don't want to misquote that. But I'm pretty sure I, I follow her on Twitter, and she is Mexican. I, I mean, if she's if she's Hispanic or she's a Latina, you know, just you know, you know, recognize. <laughs> you got it, man. That go read this book. It's great. I think. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, honestly you had me when you were like Western manga. I was like sold. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, anyway, so yeah, I read that fantastic book. That's that's all I'll say. Um, I also read Fantastic Four Books of Doom. This is a six-issue miniseries by Ed Brubaker and Pablo Raimondi. And it is a story. <laughs> this is why I bought the book. It is a story about Dr. Doom telling, telling you the origins of Dr. Doom. And... Yeah. Of course, it's just, it's all over the place, and he's constantly saying, well, I was smarter than everyone. At four years old, I was smarter than every man in my group, or in my in this gypsy tribe that I was a part of, which is just funny, you know, given, you know, knowing who Dr. Doom is, um, but the best part of this whole st- story, it's because it's about Dr. Doom rising from a child all the way to the leader of Latveria, and... <laughs> My my favorite part in the whole story is when Reed Richards becomes part of the story because he can't not mention him, but of course he all he does is breeze over the fact that he exists. He's like, there was this other man, Reed Richards, I think his name was. Yes, he said that he was smarter, but I was my intellect was far superior than his, and I like couldn't like can't believe that 
A whole story about Doctor Doom you think would be just riddled with little bits and pieces about the Fantastic Four. No, no, no. They're like a footnote in the story compared to the rest of Doom's storyline. And that's that just tickles me to think that, you know, that the way that we see Doctor Doom in some ways is absolutely not the way he sees himself. And he's got this whole huge just pride about him, which you, you wouldn't expect, but not to the point that this story is told. It's It's so well done. <laughs> Um, I, just, I just love that 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 phrase. It's just the Fantastic Four are a footnote in the Legend of Doom. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so true. I, oh man, I really loved it. It it was a it was a good solid read. I just sat down and read all six issues in one go. Um, the art is pretty well done. It feels like a standard two thousands comic book in terms of the art. Um, I think Raimondi he he looks his art looks a lot like uh, Mark Bagley's art during the Ultimate Spider-Man days, like the mm-hmm. early Ultimate Spider-Man days in some ways, especially with what he did with Shadows and th- there were a couple of inkers on this book that I I didn't mention. I think they had a lot to do with that. But I did go on like a huge tweet storm last night just posting some choice shots of Doctor Doom in this book like in Shadow. So fucking well done. I loved it. <laughs> It's uh, <laughs> great. As a huge Doctor Doom fan, like this book just hit all the right buttons for me. <laughs> um, otherwise, finally, I did read Assassinistas number one. I grabbed this book on a whim because you know Gilbert Hernandez is on art. Um, <laughs> Teeny Howard, whose work I'd actually never read before, but I know that she did um, Hack Slash for a while, I believe. Um, and Colors <laughs> by Rob Davis. This book is bright as fuck. Like, <laughs> which is one thing I really liked about it. Like, totally draws you in just on the cover. <laughs> But the whole story has that very vibrant feel to it, and I really liked it. Um, The story is of these three women who used to be assassins. Um, Flash forward to modern day, they're no longer assassins, or so we think. Um, And so we're following um, main character, I think her name is Ro? Or am I think I'm getting this confused with another book. Um, But it follows uh, one of the characters, she has become a kidnapping insurance agent i guess right. and uh she offers to watch over her her old friend's son who has been threatened with you know death threats i guess or whatever um and the story unfolds we found out about this character's son i i ultimately i'm, I'm not doing a good job of summing it up but i i did enjoy it a lot i'm gonna keep reading it paul what are your thoughts on this since i know you said you read number two yeah i i really enjoyed issue two a lot. I don't want to say more than issue one but it, it went where i wanted the story to go if that makes sense like kind of the whole thing I like about Assassinistas is, is that it feels like if somebody made like an indie, you know, dramatic comedy about Charlie, that was about Charlie's Angels, if that makes sense. Oh, so yeah. it's like, you know, oh, that's. Oh, man. Yes. Yes. So you don't really get all the bang, shoot 'em up stuff that you get from a story about three assassins. You get all the sort of quieter moments when their personal lives and how they've drifted apart and their relationships. And then a lot of it is to do with the main character. Um, I'll have to look it up because I forgot her name too. Um, Octavia. Octavia, there we go, yeah. And her relationship with her son. So issue one sort of ends with her, you know, reconnecting with her son in an interesting way. And issue Mm -hmm. two is even more about that. And so you have the parental relationship, uh, her son finding out more about sort of secret life that his mom led. I, I just really love it. And Gilbert Hernandez's art, I think, is perfect for it because it makes the sort of absurdity of the story feel very normal and mundane. Yes. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, yeah, I, it's weird. Gilbert Hernandez, when it comes to Love and Rocket stuff, I tend to prefer Jaime Hernandez's art and his mm-hmm. storytelling. But when Gilbert is doing something a little bit off the beaten path like this, I, I'm all aboard. 
I'm fully into it. So I really enjoyed Assassinesis. Yeah, this book is is totally a lot of fun. Like, and that's that's the only good way I can think to describe it because that the like simplicity of all of the art makes it <laughs> really easy to digest. Yeah. Um, it doesn't feel like like there when there is big action, it doesn't feel like it's in your face and way too complex. Everything is very straightforward. Yeah. Um, and that totally just makes the book easier to read. I plus I I love the way he draws that uh, his <laughs> the character with the mohawk. Uh, oh right. Her, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just oh, Octavia's son's boyfriend. I'll just say that. Um, <laughs> I just love the way that, that character looks. I don't know what it is. I'm I'm a sucker for dudes with with the uh, big mohawks that are colored pink <laughs> or something. It's a good look. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, anyways, so enough enough about comics we read. What what are the books that we're excited for this upcoming week? Comic books are dropping on January 27th, 2018. Let's start with you, Paul, because you stole my pick. <laughs> I, I kind of figured I would. I uh, apologize for that. No, um, don't worry about it. My pick is Abbott number one. I believe this is uh, Boom is publishing this. Yeah, um, yeah. It's the new creator-owned series written by Saladin Ahmed, who, of course, is writing Black Bolt and is a fantastic writer. Mm-hmm. Art by Sammy Cavella, I believe is the last name. And the... The story, as far as I'm, I can glean from the pre-press stuff, is that it's a sort of supernatural crime story set in 1970s Detroit. And Saladin Ahmed um, is from Detroit originally, and I think his perspective on Detroit is a little bit unique, since he grew up, you know, a Muslim American in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this book is set, I think it's 1972, so early 70s in Detroit, where you do have a very divided city, a lot of issues with um, racism, and... The main character, Abbott, is an African-American uh, reporter who sort of follows follows up on crimes and unsolved mysteries that the police have dropped because they apparently have supernatural aspects to them. If you're going to do a checklist of things that I'm into, I mean, you kind of hit all the boxes right there. You know what I mean? <laughs> supernatural mystery, Detroit, you know, early 70s setting. And like I said, Ahmed's writing on Black Bolt, I've really, really enjoyed. He has a great grasp on character development and tackling big important issues in a way that doesn't feel preachy or doesn't feel ham-fisted yeah and i think i mean this concept with this creative team i think this could be a really special book and i'm very excited to read it yeah same same here just i mean the cover alone at at this point i don't even care what the book's about i'm like willing to try (laughs) whatever this guy's gonna write because exactly black bolt blew me away so hard i didn't even realize that I needed a Black Bolt book like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's all I'll say. I think you you totally nailed it on the head, Paul. This book's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. Um, Renee, what are you excited for this week? Uh, well, surprise, surprise. Uh, I'm excited for all the manga chapters that are coming out. I couldn't pick just one. <laughs> yes. I mean, because I like them all, and they're all at very pivotal points. And also, I feel I get way too excited about manga on here than everyone has their assumptions about me so trying to cut back from that but uh so i'm also breaking the rules a little bit this week because this book actually came out last week which i didn't find out till after i put it in the google doc so that's all right that's okay but it's the x-men legion the shadow king rising trade paperback which Mm -hmm. is it's a story arc i believe from the 80s in x-men where legion david holler the son of charles xavier is kind of mad at Xavier and the X-Men and is kind of like struggling with his place in the team and all that. And then he gets taken over by Xavier's arch nemesis, the Shadow King. And 
It's crazy. I actually own the last issue of this arc, and I've had it since high school. I got it randomly, like in like a, I don't know. It was it was like buy a just like five in one pack for Christmas mm-hmm. from my brothers, nice. and it was so nuts. I was so blown away by how good this story was, and I it was just the last issue. I was like, I have to get this at some point, and then lo and behold. Marvel's just like, hey, remember this random, crazy story? Here it is. And it's actually really funny, because I was just thinking the other day, I was like, when is Shadow King going to show up in the X-Men movies? And then he falls into my lap, metaphorically. So, <laughs> um, I'm excited for that. Cool. Yeah, dude. What about uh, what about you, Mike? I'm also excited. I didn't. I didn't grab that trade, but I. I probably should. Um, but I am excited for Sex Criminals number twenty-one. This is, you know, Matt Fraction, Chip Zdarsky. This is a new arc from coming off of issue number twenty. I don't know what the fuck this book is going to be about now. Um, if you haven't caught up, I don't. I won't spoil it for you, even though it's been out for a while. But holy smokes, number 20 was a doozy in terms of the overall story arc that's been, like, story that's been happening since issue one, and 21 is supposed to be a continuation into that crazy realm, so I don't know what the hell this book's gonna be about, but I am excited about it, (laughs) and that's, that's all I can really say. I thought Sex Criminals ended, actually, for some weird, I don't know why, but I thought it was over and done with, and I'm like, it's only... There was a nine-month break, um, (laughs) so some people might think that book's done. (laughs) Yes, oh do. no no no! <laughs> <laughs> this book. I mean, let, let me let me let me explain. I mean, after I think we were in the middle of the last arc, they had gotten an issue or two in, and then there was just this huge break because of life. You know, Chip Zdarsky started writing other books. Matt Fraction started doing other things with his life in terms of you know doing things that are not comic book related, bettering himself. You know, working on some mm-hmm. production stuff with Milkfed, the the whole production thing that him and his wife uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick have together. And uh, I think the book just kind of fell off in terms of priorities. Um, and next thing you know, that they they I, I guess they figured this out that they were way behind, and so they took some extra time to get four or five issues in a row ready so that they could release back on a monthly schedule, play catch up a little bit, and now this book is back at a regular pace. So they took I think two months off after the last arc, but that seems to be like the average thing for most image books. <laughs> you do six months on, two months off, so on and so forth. And I'm totally okay with that because this book is still just as fantastic. Um, honestly, this might warrant a reread of the whole series because it looks like they're going to be pulling some bigger story elements back from earlier issues in this new arc. Or at least that's <laughs> my guess, given how number 20 ended. So um, I'm nonetheless looking forward to this book. And if I have a reason to go back and reread Sex Criminals, I'm really not going to complain. Sure, sure. Because they're sexy criminals. <laughs> I just can't believe that it's only at number 21. Like, I remember Sex Criminals was... The big thing that we talked about like three years ago. Oh yeah! Like uh, you would expect it to be like Generation X is already in the eighties. Well, well, that is, <laughs> no, the Generation X is in the eighties because it started in the nineties, Renee. <laughs> how, I, okay, I don't know how that makes sense. Either way, Marvel's, the, Marvel's renumbering system doesn't make any sense. That's you what know it what is. Marvel doesn't make sense in general, but we're not going to get into yeah. that right now. That's a whole. The point is, yeah. Sex Criminals number twenty-one. I just can't. That's crazy to me. Yeah. But you I know get you. but I'm glad they're back. I'm glad Same. they're back to being sexy girls. Same here. <laughs>
for our show this week, we are talking about probably one of the greatest icons in American history, if not the whole universe. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a man known as Superman. He is Superman. If you don't know who Superman is, well, we're here to talk about him this week. And to start that conversation, there's a big thing that's coming very soon. Action Comics number 1000 will be released by DC Comics. So... As a celebration of that, as a celebration of the new red pants, I guess, um, I I have questions about all of that. Um, We're going to talk about Superman, some of Paul and Renee's favorite stories. I'm not a huge Superman fan, but they are, so hopefully they can enlighten me as to why I should read Superman and really what Superman means to them. I think... Mm -hmm. All major Superman fans have that story. They have that thing that says, this is why Superman is important to me. Mm-hmm. And so I want to get into the you, like Renee and Paul's heads to see what that's all about, and as well as get some recommendations about what I should read. So I guess to start, if do you guys have a recommendation, like a go-to Superman recommendation that you hold on to? I, I definitely do. Um, for me, my go-to recommendations for Superman, I guess I'll, I'll do two, so I'll cheat and give you two. One is Superman Birthright written by Mark Wade, art by Linnell Yu. Mm-hmm. And this was sort of, I want to say it's about a decade old at this point. It was an, an attempt to do a sort of soft reboot of Superman. So it's an origin story. And Mark Wade, you know, is one of these guys who claims to have read every Superman story ever published. He clearly loves the character. And it really comes through in this, this retelling of Superman's origin. And all of the good parts about the Man of Steel movie are based mm-hmm. off this book. Like all the parts about Superman being a good person and helping helping people sort of trying to find himself and his place in the world, it all comes from this uh, soft reboot that Mark Wade did. And I think if you want to read a Superman origin story that's contemporary and explores some important ideas, that's the one. Gotcha. My, my other recommendation, which is more of a sort of sentimental type story and explores why the character is important, is Superman's Secret Identity by Kurt Busiek and Stuart Immonen. I know I've talked about it on the show before. Yeah, yeah. And the premise is basically, it takes place in our real world where Superman is a fictional character that everyone knows. And there's a young boy named Clark Kent. He named that by his parents as sort of a joke. Mm-hmm. And he resents it, but he finds out that he has all the powers of Superman and he realizes there's only one thing you can do if you have that much power, and that's to be Superman. And... It's a story that taps into why why Superman is important to me, and it is that core belief that Superman is a representation of everything that we admire in a human being and we admire in humanity, and he does the right thing and he never gives up. So that's kind of why those stories are important to me. Gotcha. I think I've seen the Superman Secret Identity book on every single list, every single shelf of comic book stores that I go to. Like That, <laughs> that cover is very hard to miss it's straight up just as yelling at you secret identity and that's really cool like i like yeah. i like covers that are going to grab my eye like that but i've never actually read it so i didn't know that that's what it was about so cool beans yeah. i say do you see secret identity or do you see secret origin because that also came out like not that long ago right by okay. jeff johns and that's also got a very good cover so i was like i'm curious if it's secret <laughs> identity or secret origin both are, are good books and both have great covers and yeah but you know easy to mix those two up not that i'm saying you would mike you obviously know what you're talking about i know how to read renee because i don't i just look at the pictures and try to figure out what's happening yeah very hard what are are some of your what are some of your go-to picks one or two maybe if you had to pick one or two to like say if you want to get started on superman or here are some superman stories that are really important to me what would you toss to somebody so this is actually the thing because uh it was really hard for me uh at least back in college in high school to explain why I love Superman's because it's all about 
tiny moments in books, like in random ones. But um, the books that I've had as a go-to for a while are Superman Earth One by uh, J. Michael Straczynski, um, which is sort of like a modern Superman, but done right, is uh, the way I put it. Because I, This isn't Smallville, you mean? Whoa. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, sorry, I didn't mean to Them's fighting be rude words. about it. We're I know, not getting I'm into sorry. This. We're not yeah. getting into this. Sorry, yeah, we can get into it later. We can get we're, into modern we're gonna have We're going to have a mini-sode about Smallville. <laughs> Mark my words, it's going to be great because without Smallville, y'all wouldn't have anything on the CW comic book related. Okay. Moving on. Okay. Moving on. Superman Earth 1, modern day Superman. It's like, you know, a millennial Superman dealing with the fact that he has these powers but not sure if he actually wants to use them and that struggle with him also being a good person and it's it's a very it's a contemporary Superman story and it's told really well. The art is amazing, um, and I can't believe I forgot to put the artist down because I have actually met him, so I feel super bad about it. I think it's I think it's Shane Davis. Shane Davis, you're right. But bam, Shane Davis does an amazing job on the art. Um, honestly, that's what sucked me into it. And then it was J. Michael Straczynski, and it's an amazing book. And it's it's basically a newer a newer origin story, so it's but it's different. So if you know the basics, it's okay. And if you have you know done the Superman origin over and over again, you're so tired of it. It's still new enough that it's fantastic and it's fun. And it also does emphasize the best parts of why Superman is so great and the reason mm-hmm. that he does things. And then the the other go to recommendation is the last arc of Superman before the new 52, which is the grounded arc also by J. Michael Straczynski. Mm. And that starts with Superman issue 700 and goes to issue 714. And it's Superman has just returned to earth after the destruction of new Krypton. He's been gone from earth for a year and he returns and every humanity is upset at him. They're like, you left us. You were gone. Mm -hmm. All these things happened you're so out of touch with humanity. What good are you? Why would you do this? And so Superman then goes, you know what? You're right. I've gotten out of touch with the everyday man. So he decides to walk across the United States and visit cities. And it's all of these small, important stories that make Superman so great. And there's this, there's this one story where this um, boy is he's abused by his dad on a regular basis. He abuses the, the son and his mom and the boy just keeps whispering every day, every, cause he hears that Superman's going to be walking through their town. So he's just whispering to himself, Superman, please save me. Superman, please save me. And then Superman actually does show up and <laughs> you know, there's something powerful in those moments where Superman does show up and just what he means is a symbol. And also like, it's just, it's, I can't even describe it. It's a fantastic arc, and it's all about these small, small things. What people, what Superman means to people, and it also is about what Superman is trying to stay grounded at, which is, <laughs> I guess, why it's called grounded. I never really thought about that until just now. Yeah. Light bulb. <laughs> I, mean, I remember. I remember when that issue came out. I remember when Seven Hundred came out. It was such a big deal. Um, not only for the number, but because of the direction that DC was taking with the story. Um, and I know that, I, I mean, I don't know how 
in the planning phases, you know, New 52 was, but it seemed like that was a momentous arc um, for the character. It was. Uh, I remember it being a big deal, seeing a lot of articles about it. I didn't actually read it because I don't read a lot of Superman comics, yeah. but the, the, um, the, I do remember hearing a lot about it. And the big thing was, and it was the, the issue I think that they were pressing at, at C2E2 that year, was that, like, I think it was issue 701, was that Superman was going to Detroit. And I don't even oh, remember right. why that was such a big issue, but, like, everyone was freaking out about it everywhere because they're like, Superman's going to Detroit. And I was like, <laughs> okay. I was Superman like, <laughs> versus Eminem. I didn't, really, I didn't really get why that was such a big deal. And maybe someone, huh. if you guys know, if anyone knows, hit me up on Twitter because I would like to know. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, those are my go-to Superman stories. Gotcha. I mean, hmm. I I I think I've heard of all of these. I've just never actually sat down and read them. So, mm-hmm. um I have to add these to my list of things to just be caught up on what's cool with Superman, but Yeah. Um so I guess that you know, this kind of begs the question, you know, like what what has you guys so taken by Superman? What's mm-hmm. what is this character to you and why do you keep reading stories about this character that I think a lot of people see is very one-dimensional, like too powerful to be even relatable? Um, because I yeah. mean, it, at the end of the day, Superman is probably you know one of the most powerful entities that we have in modern media that we just keep using over and over to fight big monstrous things, um, mm-hmm. and yet you get these stories like this grounded arc or this secret identity where you've got these real connections between this massive superhero and everyday people. Um, is is I, that, I, what keeps you coming back to it? I think that's that's what's so interesting is that I think a lot of people. I, me personally, I can say this, have a connection to Superman because he's the first superhero character I remember reading. Like, I have a very close connection to the character because as a kid, the first books I ever read were picture books drawn by Ramona Freyden that told the origin of Superman. So I've always loved that character, and I've always had a connection to the pre-crisis sort of corny elements of Superman. So I've always liked that stuff. But the older I get, and then when I revisit those stories, and I read Superman stories, what I connect with is the idea that all of the stuff that people know about Superman, like the Fortress of Solitude, Kryptonite, the Daily Planet, that's all sort of peripheral. And what makes the character click 80 years after he was created is that idea that he always does the right thing, and he never gives up. And he's an embodiment of truth and justice, honesty, altruism, all the things we admire about human beings. And there's a lot, that's such a simple, simple thing. I think people get lost in the sort of peripheral stuff about the character, which maybe hasn't aged well. But over the years, over the past 80 years, when you focus on those core elements of what makes Superman great, there's a lot of interesting stories you can tell with that small focus of you know, his inherent goodness. So I think that's what I connect with. And that's why we're still talking about this character, like I said, 80 years later. There's other characters that were created at the same time that disappeared. Superman's endured because of that core, you know, goodness in him. Mm-hmm. What about you, Renee? Well, so my my love affair with Superman, um, <laughs> it actually started with the first Superman movie. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. that movie's great. I like that movie. The movie is fantastic, and it's, it's perfect. Yeah. And it's yeah, you know, <laughs> there there are so many things like the IMDb and like all these all these like movie reviewers say. Super, the first Superman movie is one of the best films of all time, and I actually saw a VH1 special a couple of years back of all these random celebrities talking about the Superman film, 
like there was this random like hip hop for like I don't even think he was like a um, the talent. I think he was like a producer. And he's talking about how there's a pimp on the street in Metropolis that sees Superman. He's like, now that's a fly outfit. He's like, even the pimp on the street recognizes Superman's cool. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I agree with that. Awesome. But you know, it's and it's it was something. You know, it's something that they they say. Um, in actually, in Smallville, they they dedicated an episode to him after uh, Christopher Reeves died. Um, that you know he made us believe that a man can fly, and like mm-hmm. first there was that wonder, and then I wanted to know more about Superman, and I started learning about it, and it's exactly what Paul said. You know, he is the i he's he is the hero that sticks by his morals and always tries to do good, especially in in the way that our comics have evolved we have characters that are you know that struggle with things and they sort of flirt between that balance of of good and evil and we have anti-heroes and things like that and superman has always tried to be like the valiant knights that you hear in stories even though as we know from history that you know knights pretended to be all covered in gold and silver and really they were just like you know neck deep in blood and guts and I think that Superman is everything that we should aspire to be. You know, a good, someone wholeheartedly good and wants to believe that there's good in everyone. Mm-hmm. And then I think there's also a part of it that he's, you know, he's, he's not from here. He's an alien. And he's one of them, but not one of them. And there's, you know, something about that being a minority, you know, that you're both in this world and, and also a part of something else. And I don't know, I just always really loved Superman, that there's more to him than just this guy that becomes someone else when he puts glasses on. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that's that's an interesting point. I mean, all the sort of peripheral stuff that I, that I said, you know, maybe isn't that important, that's all really fascinating about Superman too. And I think some of the best stories are the stories that sort of explain that stuff. Like the Fortress of Solitude isn't just a place where he goes to get away from everything. It's also like a monument to his, what he's done. You know, I love the stories from the Silver Age where it's just them exploring the Fortress of Solitude. He's got a zoo dedicated to animals that he's collected from other galaxies. Or he's got statues of his best friends so he can remember them when they're gone. And it's like, Superman is lonely in that sense, but he's he accepts that. And then you have, in the Force of Solitude, you have the bottle city of Kandor, which is this Kryptonian city, you know, that is a part of his past they can never really get back. And the very idea of kryptonite, people talk about kryptonite as being some sort of weakness, you know, but kryptonite is really a man- physical manifestation of his home world and his past that he can never go back to. It's actually a really tragic story. And there's a lot of stuff you can explore with that. You know, but again, that's also peripheral to what I think makes the character tick. But I love that there's over the past eighty years, people added all these different colors and interpretations to the character. Yeah, and there's something to be said though about kryptonite, and this is something that I think a lot of people don't know, is because everyone's like, why don't why doesn't everybody just grab kryptonite and use it against Superman? One, <laughs> there's a limited amount of kryptonite that has made it to Earth, and two, <laughs> not everybody knows that kryptonite is his weakness. Right. Which is something right. that you don't know because in the um, animated series that, you know, everyone watched and in Justice League, Kryptonite pops up a lot. And it's kind of like that thing because, you know, the kids know, the audience knows. 
So they just keep bringing it up. But that's something <laughs> interesting because there's actually like a Batman story where um, I think it's Under the Red Hood where they have a shipment of kryptonite they steal from Black Mass and like kryptonite is worth its weight in gold because it is so rare. And yeah. that there's some people that know what it's actually valuable for. But like, you know, not everyone knows. <laughs> so, I mean, that's kind of off topic of what we were talking about, but I needed to be said. <laughs> no, uh, no I, yeah. I get yeah. it. I get it. Yeah. And you know, and I like that, Renee, you mentioned the, the Christopher Reeve Superman movie because I watched that movie in Superman 2 basically daily when I was a kid. And there's something about Christopher Reeve's portrayal of that character that really hits home a lot of the ideas that I think we're discussing. Like one of my favorite moments and these small moments of Superman stories are sometimes the best. He rescues Lois Lane, right? When she falls off the the roof of the Daily Planet building, oh, yeah. he catches her. This is the first time anyone's ever seen Superman. And uh, you know, she he says, "Don't worry, ma'am, I have you." And she says, "You've got me. Who's got you?" Love that moment. And then <laughs> when they get to the when they get to the top of the building and he puts the helicopter that has fallen back down, everyone's just like stunned. Like, what is this dude in this flying man in this crazy costume? Mm-hmm. And Lois Lane says, Who are you? And Christopher Reeves just says, A friend. And he flies away. And that's right. really that to me has always struck me. He's like, Oh yeah, that's what Superman is. He's a friend here to help us. Yeah. And I think, yeah, you get lost in a lot of the peripheral stuff, but that's really the core of the character. So yeah, I think that that's really gets at it. Those, and then later in the movie, he saves a kitten from the tree. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's something he would do as well. He wouldn't just be stopping supervillains and Lex Luthor. He'd also just stop and help this girl who lost her cat in the tree, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And, and also, I think in I think it's, it is that helicopter scene, though, where he, where he says the, the airplane statistic line. Like, he's like, oh, oh right. this hasn't yeah. put you off flying because statistically speaking, it's still the safest way to travel. <laughs> I, I love that line it's one of my favorites and then they bring it back and Superman returns and I cannot That's help it. but have an enormous smile on my face when <laughs> it's when it's there it's because it's just he's because he's like he's like you know this was a pretty traumatic experience but technically you know <laughs> yeah. and then you have to start thinking about it, you're like oh, I guess that's true <laughs> I, I think there's something too you know these connections that we're talking about where it's it is just sort of a almost childlike just fascination with the character, which is interesting because, as you mentioned, Mike, you know, this is the 80th anniversary of Superman's first appearance in Action Comics number one. And we should be honest, I mean, he's the very first superhero in popular culture. I mean, he started the whole... Joel Siegel and uh, Jerry Schuster started the uh, whole superhero genre based off this character. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Action Comics 1000 is coming out this this year. And DC announced that part of that book is going to be the return of the red trunks to his costume, which to someone that's not a Superman fan, that might sound like the most minor detail. See, that's, but, that's exactly what I <laughs> thought. Right. <laughs> right. But then I had the same reaction that a lot of people I follow on Twitter had. They were elated. Like, oh, yes, finally, you know, this element of the character, which seems so unimportant, is coming back. But I think that's because people that really love Superman and have a connection with the character have that sort of just innate love of the character they've had since a childhood it's like yeah he always has red trunks you don't need to question why they're just always there you know what i mean if they're not there something's off i guess like w- when did they go away did they, <laughs> could you guys give me like a brief history about what's going on with it because i in my head i was like oh yes superman's always got these red tights on or these yeah. this red you know speedo on i never really questioned it i think the first time right. i really noticed it wasn't there was for man of steel but yeah. What, what was there like a history with this of them taking it away and being like, you can't have these pants, and then DC <laughs> just flies away and into the night. 
well, it's always been sort of this thing people laugh at. It was like, oh, he has his underwear outside his his pants. Sure. And But the thing is, the costume was created in the late 30s, and there was still an element of Superman's costume being derived from, like, circus strongmen. So if you watch, think of, like, old circus performance from the 1800s, early, 19, early 20th century, they would wear these, like, you know, leotards, and they sometimes have red trunks or different colored trunks as a sort of uh, symbol of virility since they're covering their, you know, their bathroom, their bathing suit area. Um, okay, yeah. You know? <laughs> so I think the the initial Superman costume was meant to be an homage to that. It was, it'd be a shorthand for people in the 30s to think, oh yeah, he's a strong guy because he's wearing that type of strongman outfit. And it just became part of the character. I think over the years people made fun of it. So I believe it was like the... Was it the New 52 when they finally it was. said, it was okay. The, yeah, the when New 52, Jim Lee, they gave him the armored suit and they tried to update it. Yeah, so Jim Lee did the costume redesign and did away with the red trunks and gave him a red belt instead. And I don't want to say it's silly, but it is silly to have that much emphasis on what whether the trunks are there or not. But mm-hmm. there's something aesthetically that it breaks up the blue of the costume that it just looks better. So. Right. I'm a fan right. of the red trunks. It might be purely sentimental value, but I'm glad they'll be back. Yeah, well, there, okay. there was there were also a couple times in the past where Superman would get a different suit, and um, <laughs> they wouldn't have the red trunks. Like the uh, the black suit when he right. came back to life was all black, except that it, like had silver toes or something like that, and the silver shield, and um, so <laughs> that didn't have the red trunks. And then when he became Energy Superman, he was just all white. He didn't have the trunks. <laughs> And then yeah. when they had oh, boy. Superman red and blue, <laughs> there were no trunks. Which... What? <laughs> so, uh, You're losing me, Renee. Superman yeah. <laughs> had excess energy in his system from okay. being brought back to life. So okay. then he sort of powered up and was kind of just like energy. And then I don't remember what happened, but somehow he <laughs> split his identity in two and they became Superman red and Superman blue. And it wasn't that long of a story arc, but you had a comic book where you have basically was split into two parts, uh, Adventures of Superman Red, Adventures of Superman Blue, and they went off and did different things. And I do have an issue of that. And it is actually very fun and it's very kind of, it's one of those gimmicky things, but the character design is actually really cool for Superman Red and Superman Blue and it's really fun. And actually we have a joke about that in my family because my one brother wears blue all the time and I wear red, so we're called Superman Red (laughs) and Superman Blue. And actually, my background that on works. my phone is That's Superman great. Red. That's awesome. Okay, okay. So the red trunks coming back is it's a it's like a callback to some like. I guess classic Superman style, yeah. right? And that's kind of been the whole thing with Rebirth is them trying to bring back this classic DC feel while also keeping the modern takes and modern characters and stuff, right? Would you <laughs> say that that's the reason or is it just them saying, like, all right, fans, you can have these back now? DC came back from the night and said, all right, I didn't really need these. You can have them. I think it is a, a sort of acceptance or an embrace of the past in a weird way. And I think a lot of Rebirth, like you said, is, a, is about that. So sort of them saying... Yeah, we have this rich history of characters. Some of it hasn't aged well, but instead of ignoring it or doing away with it, we can kind of reinterpret it in a different way and make it feel more contemporary. And I think that's this is part of it. And also, it's the guy's 80th birthday. Let him wear his trunks if he wants, you know? Yeah. That's part of it. <laughs> yeah, they, they did something very similar with the the end of Superior Spider-Man when they were bringing back Amazing Spider-Man. Like, because Superior Spider-Man had a different costume because he was a different person. And they also do this several times in Spider-Man when he gets a new costume or when he wore the the Venom sim- the symbiote suit or whatever. 
it's sure it's a callback it's sort of you feel that the character is back to who they were originally back to their mm-hmm. roots back to who you love gotcha. and there's there's that feeling when they put that suit back on that you get you're like you know that it's you're full of nostalgia you're full of warmth because you know that they are going to save the day <laughs> right as soon as you gotcha. see that symbol yeah. and then there's also so, generally that joke where they're like yeah this feels right and you know and then you're like yeah it does feel right good job exactly exactly so yeah i think you know speaking personally a lot of it is sort of a nostalgic childhood memory coming back so i'm curious you know mike as someone that doesn't read a lot of superman comics maybe doesn't have that type of connection what is your perspective on not just the red trunks but you know thousands issue of action comics or what superman means to you as maybe like an outsider not to put yeah, it I, you know, bluntly. No, but, no, no. Yeah. I, I think that's... I, I appreciate you letting me in on this discussion. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I, I mean, Action Comics 1000, I think, is an achievement for comic books in general. Um, mm-hmm. I, Despite all the renumberings, despite all of the garbage that we deal with the big two a lot, I think it's, it's a testament to the longevity of comic books as a medium to say, mm-hmm. hey, this thing, this one solitary thing has existed for this long. We should be proud of it. Um, so I think all the creators that are involved in it, I think, you know, kudos to them. It's, it's very cool. Um, from like a comic book reader perspective, I mean, you know, Superman has always been there, you know, Superman has always been there, like Batman, like Wonder Woman, like Spider-Man, like, you know, Captain America. (laughs) It's just an, it's an icon that has a staple in American culture. And so when I think of superheroes, that's directly who I think of, you know, so I've, my, an uncle of mine was huge into Superman, specifically like the old 30s and 40s whatever the black and white tv show was right um, 50s yeah yeah 50s okay yeah so he was really into that so i watched a lot of that growing up um when i would go visit my cousins and uh it never really like like resonated with me i was like oh cool superman like but like from a young age i just knew who superman was you know (laughs) i can't think of a time where i didn't know who superman was um so it's it's never been someone that I've you know read a lot about or watched. I never seen the animated show. I never seen you know like any of the Justice League shows. But I've always been aware of Superman. I always knew Superman as a constant. So you know, being someone that's now really into comic books, and I've spent you know the last ten or fifteen years of my life reading comic books. I've read you know dozens of of Superman stories or stories with Superman in it. You know, I've read, but it's never been like an actual Superman story. If you to to kind of phrase it really weird, um, because I've read Superman Red Sun, I've read all these alternate Superman stories, but never a true, by the book Superman number forty one. You know, nothing sure. like that. Yeah. Um. So it's it's always been interesting, you know, to see people really connected to this character because I've never felt like that I'm, about really any DC characters. I don't read a lot of DC or haven't up until probably the last couple of years. So. You know, I think it's he's he's a staple in comic book culture, and will always always be will always be the character that people try to compare to. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's there's never been like that relationship. I think at the same level that you guys have. I mean, at the same time, I do recognize Superman as the true good person character. Yeah. Like he yeah. is the character that is the moral right. Um, for you know, on a on a long scale of things, you know, because there's always I was going to ask you guys about you know, how do you feel about stories where Superman's put in these positions where he has to make two bad decisions, um, but I, I I don't think that that actually adds to the conversation because on the whole, <laughs> what Superman represents isn't that it's what you guys have both mentioned already. So <laughs> to me, that's Superman. 
that in like nine out of ten times when he's stuck in that has to make two out of out of he has to make one of these bad decisions. And this mm-hmm. is actually his point that Dan Slott made um, back when uh, I think Man of Steel came out was that nine out of ten times Superman finds a third way. Yeah. That right is <laughs> that is a hundred percent right, and you're like, oh yeah. Well, that makes sense. Of course he could do that because he's Superman. Yeah, yeah. Which is why I think a lot of people were upset in Man of Steel when he killed Zod. Because they're like, well, Superman would have found a way. But (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Uh, (laughs) I mean, that being said, you know, just to to tie tie into that a little bit, like how do you guys feel about the modern takes on Superman, going all the way to Mm -hmm. Return of Superman and and so on Mm -hmm. and so forth, like up into the Justice League? You know, it's it's interesting. I I think what makes Superman great is the fact that he is such a simple character that he can be a reflection of what each time period values, if that makes sense. He becomes a reflection of when the era he's being written in. And that's actually, there's a great book by, um, of course, I'm going to blank on his name. Uh, it's the Unauthorized Biography of Superman. And uh, it's a writer who writes for NPR. He wrote this history of the character and... He goes through from the 30s up until the early 2000s, and that's his argument is that Glenn Weldon, that's his name, unauthorized biography of Superman. And he he explores like what the how the character has changed to reflect the time he's being written. So in the late 30s, he's coming out of the depression. He's a fighter for the people that have suffered under under the depression. He's beating up, you know, corrupt politicians. He's taking care of gangsters. And then throughout time, that's always changed and evolved. I think contemporary takes on Superman tend to be morally ambiguous and say, well, Superman, if I had those powers, here's how I would handle it. And I think that's a kind of a backwards interpretation. And that's why I always recommend Superman's Secret Identity by Kurt Busiek, because the idea is that Superman is real. You know what I mean? He's He's been around for 80 years as an idea and as a character and as a concept. Mm-hmm. He's become part of our shared collective history. So Superman, in a sense, or at least what he represents, truth and uh, honesty and altruism, that's real. And to say that someone that had those powers wouldn't understand that or be conflicted about how to use them, I think that ignores 80 years of pop culture history. Right. Yeah, and they... they uh pretty much almost the same thing happens in Superman Earth 1 because <laughs> Clark is a young man going to the city and he's doing all these different things because Superman has um you know basically a level 7 intelligence like he is about as smart as as Batman or at least somewhere around there he you know has super strength super speed he could have been the pro athlete and it shows him do all these different things because he's a young person and he doesn't know what he wants to do, and then he becomes Superman through the events of the story, not because, you know, he's just like, oh, you know, if I have these powers, this is what I should do. It's not just that it's what he should do, it's what he feels compelled to do because of the way that he was raised and because of the way that the world around him is. And I think that it shows that conflict really well, and it also shows, you know, you know, why he's better than you know, the random a-hole that's like, well, if I had Superman's power, I'd be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> right. This right. sort of reminds me of, reminds me of one of my very favorite Superman stories. Um, it's it's kind of old. It's from early, I think it's from 1972. It's uh, Must There Be a Superman, written by Elliot S. Magan, 
art by Kurt Swan, the legendary Superman artist. I mean, when you think of Superman, you think of Kurt Swan's drawing of Superman, at least in my mind. Okay. Superman number 247, back in 72. The premise is that the Guardians of the Universe, you know, the the blue guys from the Green Lantern comics, Mm -hmm. they basically take Superman aside and say, look, Superman, I know you're helping out uh, humanity and you're helping out the helping out earth but your interference is causing humans to not evolve the way that they should they rely on you to solve all of their problems they're not taking care of themselves or the planet the way that they should be which is a really fascinating concept um there's also another book that elliot s Magan wrote miracle monday it's technically not a comic it's a novel but it's one of my favorite superman stories as well and it goes in the same idea where it's like people will just let you know oil tankers sink in the ocean because they know superman would rescue it He's like, oh, we don't really have to make any safeguards. Superman will take care of everything. Right. So so Superman sort of takes it to heart. He's like, oh, yeah, maybe I'm not a good influence. Like, maybe I'm not doing the right thing mm-hmm. because I'm preventing people from taking care of themselves. And, of course, the story goes on, and he rescues a small farming village from being destroyed by a tsunami. And the people are just saying, thank you, Superman. Can you stand up for us against our cruel boss? Superman's like, well, no. Like, I can help you if the problem is too big for you to handle you kind of have to stand up for yourself as well. And it's a weirdly inspirational story that sort of explores that duality of the characters. Like, yeah, he can do everything, but maybe he shouldn't do everything. It's a really fascinating concept there as well. See, that's, this is the kind of stuff I want to read. This is cool. (laughs) See, I'm looking at the list. We've got a bunch of books in here um, that I'm going to put in the show notes that I think are really cool um, to just take a look at because it sounds to me like we've got a very like broad spectrum of Superman stories yeah. um, that we've all, that you guys both really like. Um, and I'm, I'm really curious to read some. I mean, obviously, let's just add this to my list of hundreds of books that are on my <laughs> backlog. But, um, I mean, like, for instance, I have read American Alien by Max Landis. I, I very much liked it um, from getting different perspectives of – getting a different perspective on Superman as he grows up um, being this super person. I, I definitely like that book. But to see some of these other ones, you know, maybe I should actually sit down and try it. Because I think it, it, there's no harm in, in reading – some of these superhero books, even if you're not into the character, but um, going off of the dis- this discussion of who Superman is to you guys and trying to take that and approach these books with that in mind, I think could be really cool. Um, so, so we're, we're I, I guess, converting uh, you, we're making you a fan. That's the whole I point. Mean, <laughs> That's the goal. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the whole goal of this episode. But I guess, uh, do you guys have any final thoughts on, I guess, on Superman about his legacy, about everything? Because I think we could wrap up pretty quick here. Yeah, I mean, I think I've I kind of hit the core of the character to me in a way, you know, what he means to me. And I, I've always really appreciated stories that sort of explore that element of Superman, you know. Um, if I was going to leave with one final recommendation, I w- I'm sure most people have at least know of All-Star Superman by Grant Morrison mm-hmm. and Frank Whiteley. That is a fantastic Superman story. I think it's one that pays off better if you have a history of the character or know more of the Silver Age history of the character. So it might not be great for new readers. But there was an issue that Grant Morrison did with Gene Ha when he was writing Action Comics in the New 52. It's Action Comics number nine. There's a story about the idea of Superman. And basically the the short version is kids from an alternate dimension made a machine that could turn ideas into reality. And they came up with the idea of Superman. And then someone bought the idea and turned it into a corporate icon. And it became a symbol of fascism. And it's this weird interpretation of the character. Oh boy. Or what the idea is. But then it ends up, they end up fighting through the multiverse. They end up on Earth-23 where Superman is president. 
And that Superman is purely good, and he defeats the bad, evil idea of Superman. And that issue, of course, it's Grant Morrison, so it's very complex and very cerebral, but it explores both the idea of Superman as a character and the idea of Superman as a sort of corporate-owned you know, intellectual property and how those are sometimes at odds with each other. So Interesting. Yeah, anyway. I could go on for a lot longer, but I know we got to wrap it up. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be my, <laughs> my you, final recommendation. What are your final thoughts? So my final thoughts on Superman, and I think the reason that why I love him so much and why I'm so interested and fascinated in the character is, um, and I'm actually going to, I'm going to do a Hail Mary here and pull in a reference <laughs> from a manga. Um, oh, boy. It's just like All Might in uh, My Hero Academia. He's, All right, you got me. He's the symbol. <laughs> All, All Might is the symbol of peace. When people think of All Might, they either think of he takes everything with a smile. He's unstoppable. And that brings hope to all the people who are, you know, who are looking for it. And it gives terror to those that are trying to cause evil. And hmm. Superman is this ultimate idea this ultimate symbol of peace. Like even just the symbol, the, the S on his chest makes anyone who, even someone that doesn't like Superman or doesn't know much about it, you know, they, they get this feeling of, of inspiration, of hope, of power. You know, there's something there and it's very, it's very visceral. And I think that, that Superman is this ultimate symbol of peace and he's this ultimate symbol of morality for, for people that, you know, you know, maybe don't have anything else that tethers them to it, I guess, which sounds crazy and outrageous, but I don't know. It's getting away from me. <laughs> no, I got you. I got you. I think, I think that symbol, that symbol is incredibly powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it even goes to the point in, um, in there's a story by Jeff Johns called infinite crisis. That's a whole multiverse, you know, craziness. But in it, there's mm-hmm. a there's a Superman who is actually kind of like um, in the story that Paul was talking about, where you know he read comics and his name was Clark Kent, and then he finds out that he has the powers of Superman, mm-hmm. and he so strongly believes in the idea of being right and being good that when he sees this new world be tainted, that he then ends up becoming a villain and sees everyone else as flawed. And you sort of see how Superman can go wrong, and Superman ends up fighting him. And he says, you know, you don't mm-hmm. deserve that symbol. He's like, he's like, he's like, I'm what's all good. He goes, it's not about being good. It's about trying to mm-hmm. be good and trying to to inspire, which sort of emphasizes that Superman himself doesn't doesn't see himself as this ultimate symbol of good. He's just trying to be the best person that he can be. Right. Which that right there, that That's right it. there is enough yeah. to like connect to right oh all right man i'm, I'm kind of hooked on superman this is kind of cool shit you guys <laughs> yeah. yeah and uh, um, i think i think if there was um any last recommendations that i would give because i know there's a lot of people that are like oh how boring are superman stories where there's fighting because you know he's super strong so for that mm-hmm. i would actually give the new krypton arc and the war of the superman arc war of super of the superman comes right after new krypton which is um so like Paul said, he has the bottle city of Kandor. And what happens is that's the last city from Krypton that survived because it was stolen by Brainiac. But Superman actually finds a way to create a new planet 
and takes the city of Kandor and grows them, and they are able to live on this planet. The only thing is it's on the other side of the sun from Earth. So you've got a world of supermen basically just flying around, trying to rebuild their, their you know, their race. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Superman goes there for a year, and, you know, he's not special there. Because all the other people there are just like him. They're just as smart. They're just as strong. They're just as fast. They can all fly. So it's like, in a world of Superman, no one is. But at the same time, you're still like, well, but it's Superman. But it's very interesting because it gets very political and all these kinds of stuff. But on the other side of that, where it goes into War of the Supermen, is you see how Earth sees this planet of Supermen as, you know, they're like, well, what's to stop this entire planet of gods from destroying us? And it gets very into that sort of, like, you know, fight against superpowers and what they just mean existing. So, I Mm -hmm. mean... Gotcha. It's it's very it's very interesting. There's there's something that there's a line in there where uh, Lois Lane tells her father because her father is very anti Superman. He's like he's the alien that will bring an invasion to destroy our planet. Oh and boy! Lois Lane says to her father, he says, you know, because he's trying to destroy the Krypton the Kryptonians. She says he's like you know to them, you're that alien. <laughs> Oh man! And I think that's a very powerful thing. So I, w- I would suggest those for people who are kind of like on the fence of like, oh, Superman stories are going to be kind of boring and just be about this messianic figure. So, I mean, those ones are are kind of take the power away, kind of take the trump card away from Superman. So I would suggest mm-hmm. those. Right. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, put, I'll put links to all this stuff or I'll put the, all the names and stuff that you guys posted in the show notes. Um, because I think this is a, this is a killer list. It's a really awesome looking list. Yeah. So let's, I guess we'll wrap this episode up. Um, where can people find you guys on the internet? Paul, let's start with you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ohi I'm over there and you can also check me out on the spike pile driver, professional wrestling podcast. Me and my friend, Matt talking about wrestling pretty regularly. And, uh, we are on Twitter at spike pile pod. Cool. What about you, Renee? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Rodriguez29. And uh, there's also a link on there to my blog where I talk more about like manga stuff and a couple of other random things. If you want to keep hearing me rant about stupid things, you can check that out. Um, yeah, so there's that. Fun stuff. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Mike Rappin. You can also follow the show at IRCB Podcast, where I post things at all hours of the day because I don't sleep, apparently. Um, <laughs> and we post polls every Friday. Uh, this, po- this week's poll is, who is the nicest villain? And uh, things are skewing, and I'm very, very interested to see how this all plays out. Uh, <laughs> I'll just say that. <laughs> if you want to uh, talk more about us, about comics we're reading and comics you're reading, check out the Goodreads group. We've got weekly threads over there. We have a, a thread dedicated to our monthly Goodreads group show, uh, discussions about what books we're reading. It's a lot of fun over there. And you can also check out our website, ircbpodcast.com. That's where we have links to the episodes. We have the show notes. It'll have everything we talked about. And also the comic book creator name pronunciation guide is over there. If anything, uh, creators' names you want to add to it, let us know. Please rate, subscribe, and tell your friends, tell your family, tell your pets. Okay, don't tell your pets because they won't know anything. Especially tell your pets. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) maybe they use the computer when you're not home. I don't know. But tell everyone. (laughs) Check us out. You know, keep watching because we love doing this for you guys. And I guess eventually with some of you? I don't know. 
Yeah, yeah, that's coming. That's coming this year. It's going to be a good time. Uh, you can email the show at rcv at destroythesive.org. Please reach out. We love talking to you. We love all the feedback. And, you know, you guys are a hoot and a half, so you can reach us through there or through any of us on Twitter. So. Yeah, and make sure to send us emails and post stuff on Twitter um, for our Q&A episode that is coming up on February 14th. It's going to be a blast. We've got some really cool questions coming. I'm super excited to talk about some of this stuff, things that we haven't even devised as show topics. It's going to be really cool. So send us your questions and chili recipes, vegan chili recipes. That's, That's right. my challenges. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Infinity Shred, they do all the music for the show. They are the fucking best band in the universe. Bunch of, like, the nicest guys in the world, too. Xander, he's a cool wizard guy who also edits it's the show he's a fun person and i want to say thank you thank you thank you to everyone and until next week and next time my friends we will check you mostly later on down the road next week <laughs> or or an actual ending what, <laughs> what? thank you <laughs> do at it. some point in time we might see you hang out with you or whisper thank softly you for in your ear Hail Hydra, we're out. Thank you for listening to I Read Comic Books. We will check you next week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do this every week until Xander gets mad at me. <laughs> oh, that's great. Which means it's going to be this week. So, anyways. <laughs> Just once, yeah. <laughs>